welcome to another edition of Cloud Unfiltered. I have Jimmy Zelensky from Aust. Do I pronounce that right? Aust. How do you, how do you pronounce Aust-Z it? Aust Z. Aust Z. There you yeah. go. I feel. I feel like I, I knew I was doing something wrong. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right off the bat, I said that doesn't sound right. But yeah. Okay. So Aust Z. I like that. Mm-hmm. That's that's much better sounding. You have to channel your inner Brit. Aust Z. I like that. So um, first of all. Let's start off. You, so you have a, a, a quite a bit of history in the cloud native space. You worked for CoreOS, um, where you did a lot of things. Tell me a little bit about your your experience about in CoreOS. Yeah, so I started at CoreOS actually straight out of college. Um, so I in college worked on open source Go programs, um, like mostly BitTorrent related. And yeah, that's what, why not. Yeah, exactly. You're you're a college kid. You're yeah, going to yeah. be working on 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 things, right? Yeah. Uh, BitTorrent's a great place to start. Um, and what happened was that became a part of the container orchestration at Facebook. So deploying all of the software on all their servers. Um, and then I came out of school being like, cool. What's this container thing that yeah. like everyone is using to deploy their software on servers. Um, And uh, basically at that point, uh, my future co-founders, Jake and Joey, had just gotten acquired by CoreOS. So them themselves, not their company? Uh, Their company got acquired. (laughs) Um, And this this, uh, was the product Quay. Um, And so they started a New York office for CoreOS. Previously, it was maybe like 10 people at that time in San Francisco. and so I saw an ad on Hacker News and emailed Polvi, one of the founders of CoreOS, and that like made that. And then I started work at CoreOS in New York, um, and mostly on Quay. Uh, eventually, becoming like a product manager there too. We worked on like operator framework stuff too, Tectonic. Um, we made Claire as well there. So yeah. one of the first um, image like vulnerability scanners. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that you reached out to the founders because a lot of people don't realize that with these startups or even any company, the best way to get a job is to ask for it. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I mean, being a founder now, I'm like, I welcome the cold email that says, hey, I actually think I'd be a great fit. Yeah, exactly. You know, because that, you know what, that shows interest, that shows intent. You know, and if, if, you know, if there's not a right fit for some reason, at least a lot of founders will tell you, like, you know, maybe skill up on this a little bit or, you know, it's such a nice community yeah. that, you know, I feel like it's, it's, it's okay to reach out. It's okay. That's fine. Yeah. You know, so, and, and I've, I've, I've honestly always asked for what, what I wanted, you know, and, and um, I haven't been disappointed yet. So that's a good thing. I'm not saying I'm amazing. I'm just saying I haven't been disappointed. <laughs> But um, yeah, so so you know, and what's interesting is you worked on things like operators back then, which was really almost a new thing at that point. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it was a time of great innovation. Um, yeah, a, a lot of the things that we now kind of take for granted, yeah, um, and like are the foundations for what people work on now. Yeah. Kind of got started back in uh, those days. So like operators were one of those things that CoreOS kind of like just pulled out, and we're like, hey, it turns out that when you want to update. Kubernetes, the best way to do it is to, you know, have Kubernetes update Kubernetes. <laughs> yeah. um, how do you do that? And then we started building operators to solve that problem. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then uh, eventually we're like, well, people are going to also want to make their own operators. Uh, how do we do that? Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's kind of interesting now because uh, I am now quoted for like defining operators and like the Red Hat book on operators and I'm like oh I, <laughs> that's really I, cool. I, I didn't actually like create the first operator the first operator is that CD operator which if you ever look at that code base it's atrocious do not copy any of these patterns um, but 
yeah, just being able to like kind of contribute a concise definition is probably like, I feel like that's the most value added um, to the operator ecosystem uh, beyond like basically just product managing uh, operator framework and uh, helping Evan uh, co-create uh, OLM, which is Operator Lifecycle Manager. Yeah, which is, which is awesome. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a pretty complex project. Yeah. Um, and most people really don't need that level of complexity. It's like a full dependency management like, I like solution I, I for love operators. OLM, so yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I think there's a, a right time and place for it. And I think yeah. as a foundation for a Kubernetes distribution, like OLM fits that use case great. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. componentizing what you're installing on your cluster has been the goal for a long, long time. Yeah, no, I, I, I can totally understand that. And it's, it's really interesting. I mean, I think that all this stuff kind of led to where you are now, mm -hmm. which is, you know, you've, you've basically taken something that Google just said, hey, I'm, we're thinking about this or we're talking about this. Yep. And you're like, okay, yeah, I'm going to make something out of that. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Uh, so back in the day, uh, we basically saw this componentized problem and like we're trying to figure out, okay, when people add new services onto their clusters, um, how are they going to add permissions to all these things? So when Amazon adds a new service to Am Amazon Cloud, um, they add these new rules into IAM and they yeah. say, um, okay, we're introducing S3. What kinds of permissions are users going to want to have on S3? They're going to want to be able to read buckets and write to buckets and administer buckets and delete buckets. Yeah. And now you have these nouns and these verbs that operate on these nouns. Um, and what we saw at uh, Tectonic, which was CoreOS's Kubernetes distribution, is you have operators, you have these components, you're bringing them onto the cluster. Um, how are you going to bring your verbs and nouns for permissions? Um, and Basically, uh, we worked at Chorus for a long time, never really super invested into any solution there. We kind of saw what Google was doing in the space. Um, and then when we were looking to leave and start a new company uh, after the Red Hat acquisition, uh, we look, kind of looked around and we're like, wait, no one has really moved on this paper. Like, the, like they wrote the Zanzibar paper, they published it, and like no one has really like realize the dream outside of Google. Um, a couple companies have made proprietary internal implementations, Airbnb being one of them, Carta being another. Um, but no one has actually like made an open source project out of it or made it super generic. And so uh, when we were kind of like racking our brain for ideas, um, that was the top top one. And we, we kind of just like jumped on and uh, now we have SpiceDB. Yeah, and, that, and, that, and that's amazing because, you know, um, first of all, you know, as, as sexy as I think authorization is, you know, a lot of people don't, and I don't understand that, but, you know. It's not. <laughs> I can tell you it's, it's not uh, from, like, being a small enough team now that I also have to do some of the marketing. It's like, I'm not going to sell this in a sexy way. I'm not going to pretend to try to sell this in a sexy way. I'm going to tell you exactly what's on the tin. Yeah. Um, and I think that actually is what makes it the most appealing because yeah. so many people in, like, the identity and access space are, like, using a lot of fluffy language. They're not actually really describing what's going on, and I think yeah. that just leads to even more confusion. It's hard to describe our product and how it differentiates from other products yeah. just merely because everyone uses all the same terminology and no one is distinguishing anything, and it's just so fluffy that you, you can't even tell what anything does. Yeah. Um, so let me ask you, that's a good question, because I always feel like they overcomplicate 
you know, the terms they use for, for authorization. Like, yep. do they have to be that complicated? They don't. <laughs> they really don't. And, like, a lot of it comes, there's original papers on, like, um, the, the paper that, like, created RBAC. Yeah. And it all, like, harkens back to a lot of this military terminology yeah. that they, they were trying to discuss, like, keeping secrets in the military. And they basically just inherited all this terminology that no one really understands that well. And, uh, like, I'm in customer calls talking about authorization every day. Yeah. And um, these calls, everyone uses different words. Like, I have completely different vocabulary. I, I know synonyms and, like, different concepts from completely different ecosystems. Yeah. Um, and they are all the same things. But there's just so many different ways to describe the same thing. Yeah. Um, and like even something as simple as saying, like, we need RBAC for our enterprise software. Um, well, how well do you have, like, do you need just like really fine grain roles? Like, are they really basic roles? Do you just need like a reader, writer, admin? Like, do you need customers that can create their own new roles that have permissions defined dynamically? Like, there's a whole bunch of unspecified things when someone just says, I need RBAC. Yeah. And it, it's really, really confusing. Like, do you need to map existing users from a user database into the new system as well? How are, like, what will be the default permissions from people that log in for the first time? Like, no one actually talks about any of these things. <laughs> and when they do, there's like no verbiage for people to talk about it like on a shared level. Yeah, um, because when I'm talking to my friends, this is not how I talk about authorization. No, yeah. I don't talk about authorization. <laughs> but yeah, no, but that's, that's a, it's a real thing, you know, because, you know, um, when you go back to like, um, just like Windows, like Radius and, and, you know, and all these other kinds of things, yeah. you know, that, it was just like, it's so awkward and weird to like map things to these terms that really you're like kind of wedging it in there, yep, you know, yep. and saying you want certain things. And it's just, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's not, it's not that nice. Yeah. So we try to avoid all of it. We yeah. try to, um, and like somewhat it's to our own detriment for like SEO purposes. It's like, yeah. oh, we don't, we don't like tout ourselves as authorization. We use the word permissions everywhere because yeah. it's way more clear the distinction between authentication, auth n, and authorization, yeah. auth z. Yeah. When you just say identity for authentication and permissions for authorization, yeah. because no one is going to be confused when you say identity versus yes. permissions. Yes. Um, but when you say auth n, people conflate like auth n and auth z because they just say auth. Yeah. And you're like, what is auth? There's no one auth. There's yeah. two things there. Yeah. Um, so it, it's deeply, deeply confusing for a lot of people. You find like. We're generally just talking to people. It's like senior engineers sometimes slip up on these things, and you're like, "No, yeah. every app needs secure permissions, or else and, like and, it's over, game over." Yeah, and just think about okay, if senior engineers are already you know worried about this and, and slipping up and doing things like that, imagine the normal everyday person that's just like yep. writing code and and wants to be able to use some of this and is thinking about, well, how do I do this? And there's literally very few frameworks to do this. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and so there's an interesting progression that we see. Basically, um, uh, when you add permissions to an application, first you build it ad hoc. Yeah. Typically, you're just kind of like writing your own thing. You yeah. probably have like a single table in your database, and you're just like seeing if a particular user has a particular role yeah. uh, stored inside your table in your database. Um, and then what happens is you have like two services or something like that, and you say, oh, we got some common patterns. Yeah. Um, let's make a library. And now you have like libraries. And now what we see is there's an additional um, next step after that, which is, oh, now we have a bunch of microservices. 
Like now we need a service. Yeah. And so this is where we kind of come in. Um, we're, we're kind of like a lot of other people in the space are kind of acting as this library layer. Um, and we're saying, no, 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 just jump to the service. Like you, you will eventually. Um, so if you think you can take on the complexity now in your architecture or like you're way late and you're way due on making this refactor, um, when you have a service dedicated to solving permissions, you get to do a lot of really nice things. Like any microservice at any point in time can ask a question, can this person do this thing? So now you don't have to like have cookies that you're passing around. You just have to know like who you're acting on behalf of. Yeah. And so um, you don't have this problem where like all the permissions have to be checked up front and then all the other microservices after that just kind of blindly trust that like, <laughs> oh, I, I guess I'm doing this authorized. Like I'm doing this on behalf of someone else. Um, and this is typically the architecture you see for a lot of microservices is like they have some kind of like gateway or monolithic application in the front. It tries to check all the permissions it possibly can. Yeah. And then everything after that is just praying that it's still trusted. Yeah. But if any of those things get, get uh, popped, like hacked, it's an open they, door. It's an open door. They have God <laughs> mode on all the data, and sometimes they have like their own way to access all of the data in the original service, and like yeah. people are sharing data in really bad ways. Um, and yeah, I think it's just like the freeing capability of you to just at any point in time query to ask a permission, like just saves you so much complexity in the. So long this term. is really like authorization as a service, but I don't want to name that because that Cor sounds bad. If correct. I call it AAS or absolutely, <laughs> and we actually started with that as our our like tagline was like we're authorization as a service, but it turns out that that like just lands pretty flat with people. Um, but when you start to make the analogy of like a database, yeah. it starts to make a lot more sense to folks. Um, so we decided to like kind of move forward with calling ourselves a database because, well, you define schemas and the schemas define the structure of the nouns you're going to talk about and the different um, relationships that they have with each other. Um, and then you start writing in actual data um, similar to like how you would create a schema for a relational database and then you'd start inserting rows. Um, and this is functionally how it works and then you make specific queries to us yeah. and we, we say yes or no on a permissions check or we can do things like for this user, tell me all the resources they have access to. Or for this resource, tell me all the users that have access to it. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and you know, it's funny because I always have this conversation. And um, one of the things I talk about, I think I was talking about with uh, Matthias Bielman of uh, Netlify. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you know he, he has this whole framework where, where, where people develop the whole, you know, uh, I forget what it's called, Jetstack. Is it? No, not Jetstack. No, uh, uh, I forget what it's called. But, you know, he's going to kill me. But, is it uh, Jamstack? Jamstack. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Jamstack. Yeah. Jamstack. Um, but, uh, you know, and one of the things we talk about is that people really want to consume things as a service. You know, yep. that's the easiest way to consume something. If yeah. I'm going to consume something, I want to do it as an API, mm -hmm. as a service, you know, connect to it, get the stuff I need, get my application written, yep. and be done with it. I really don't want to worry about the authorization piece. That's yeah, not something yep. that's fun when you're developing an application. Yeah. So you know, I think it's a great space that you're in because that's really where, where it plays. And honestly, I could see you know, uh, service providers using your service and, and other, you know, other people hosting it so that they can connect to that and so you could spin it up and then create, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's actually pretty interesting. We've, we've been um, kind of in this space for a decent amount of time. Yeah. There are a lot of people trying to innovate on like what is the most ergonomic way to solve permissions. Yeah. And I feel like um, we've decided to take a completely opposite take on that. So um, while you can try to make permissions as ergonomic as possible, well, you're still going to like pigeonhole yourself in what your capabilities are if you do that. So not everyone's going to be able to model their stuff if you make it as easy as possible and attract like a lot of the folks doing Jamstack stuff. 
Um, so what we've done is taken the more complex, more flexible solution, and um, we're kind of working with the people that already are feeling a ton of pain from having designed the wrong thing over and over and like hit all the scaling problems. And those are the people hurting the most, so we're actually solving problems with them. And then as we kind of learn more, we can see more use cases and start to like make easier kind of cookie cutter solutions that people can basically adopt. And then when they feel like they need the full complexity, kind of like unlock and get access to the whole thing and then actually like grow out of that. Um, yeah, the, the Jamstack ecosystem is really interesting. We, we basically offer serverless, hoping yeah. that like people um, that are in that space that actually do need this complexity um, end up basically adopting uh, authorization as a service. Um, but we find that like a lot of people also just want to run it themselves. So we're also fully open source and we have like dedicated solutions and on-prem solutions as well. Yeah, that's, that's, that's amazing. I mean, I, 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 I'm, I wouldn't do it, but I'm so glad that you are. <laughs> someone has to, someone, someone has, someone to. has to. And, and you know what, that, those are the things though, that, that, you know, probably will do really well because, because people need it. It's something yeah. that's needed. It's not the sexy thing, yeah. but it's something that solves a problem yep. and, a, and a real problem. Yeah. We, we think it can be sexy. And one day, one day, when you look at it actually as a really interesting distributed systems problem, it becomes sexy. Yeah, yeah. So like um, one of the interesting things about it is uh, it actually requires uh, linearizable um, data stores to be able to do this. So at Google, they use Spanner. Mm -hmm. And we actually support Cloud Spanner if you're using Google Cloud. But we also use CockroachDB. Um, and then we also have like implementations on top of Postgres and MySQL that run with serializable isolation level. But the whole idea is that uh, if you revoke someone's permissions, they need to not have <laughs> yes. access then and there, right? <laughs> or you grant someone permissions, you definitely want to see that reflected immediately. Yeah. Because it's sensitive. It can be very sensitive. And yeah. like understanding like the causal ordering of all these things is very complicated. Um, and so basically it also is a very sophisticated distributed systems problem when you start looking at it as like a, a database that has this very sensitive need and then like it's also super performant like you have to answer permissions checks in like tens of milliseconds yeah um and, and when i say tens i mean like 10. yeah um <laughs> you want single digits or like maybe under 20 max uh to be able to answer these things so it has to be super fast so like it requires a lot of caching and a lot of rallying around like this is the point in time at which everyone should be asking questions. But for these, we actually need these to be perfectly correct. So then there's like a huge dance and trade off of like, okay, can this have some wiggle room? I as the caller can choose. And um, one of the interesting things about our APIs are that you can actually say like, I actually just give me whatever value is best, whatever is fastest, I don't care. Or you can also say things like, um, give me the absolute most up-to-date, most consistent value. Like, I need to know this is exactly the last thing that was written in the database to be correct in my application. And you can just do that on the fly. Yeah, this is not something that you can create like a minimally viable product. It's yeah. just not gonna work that way. Yeah. It needs to work. Yeah, it has to be correct, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Or else you're, you're, subset, like, you're going to suffer from yeah. a huge class of problems. Yes, yeah, yeah that's, that's insane. I mean, I, I, you know what, after this, after this whole conference, I, I am really going to take a look at it because I, it seems so interesting, honestly, to me, because I'm a techie. Yeah. You know, so I, I would love to see what it, what it is. Maybe I'll come to, the, to New York and, and we, can have, <laughs> we can have beers and I can look at it, you know, and you can show me or something. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and like, yeah, we are, because we've been in the, the cloud space for so long, like the Kube space, like all of it runs on Kubernetes, like that is the preferred platform for us. Yeah. Um, we do like really interesting um, like discovery. So um, all SpiceDB instances actually like 
join one cluster together. Um, so if you deploy it as a deployment, we actually use a library called Kube Resolver, and mm -hmm. we listen, we get basically get updates as um, new nodes become healthy in the deployment, and that gets added into an internal set that we use to actually cache and distribute load across all of the nodes in the deployment. So transparently, when you go to deploy SpiceDB, it's like listening on Kubernetes and figuring out what other instances there are and using the whole deployment as a distributed cache. Oh, that's awesome. Um, it's all just magically out of the box. Um, <laughs> so yeah. that, that brings up a good point. What, you know, so one of the biggest inhibitors of, of adoption, mm -hmm. and especially in the Kubernetes ecosystem, yep. is what it takes to install. Yeah. So, so what is what do you do? What what what's is? I mean, I don't need each command, but what is yeah. is it is it easy? Do you do you do a Helm chart? Is it a you know what what's what's yeah. the process? There's um, <laughs> right now basically there's a couple different things. Um, we have there's community has built a Helm chart. Um, there's probably we, an operator. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> I, I can tell you that we have one under works. Okay. Um, <laughs> And, and I know this yeah. is early days, and it's going to get amazingly better. Yeah. I, I have no doubt. So, but yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, so we have Evan Cordell, who is uh, used to be the lead on the operator framework. Yes, so, and <laughs> yeah, like, we came from the place no where doubt. we made operators. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like we we get operators. Yes. Um, so we're looking forward to that being very mature. But yeah. we also acknowledge that like a lot of our users are not going to be using Kubernetes as well. Okay. A lot of people don't use Kubernetes. Why? No, I'm oh, just kidding. <laughs> I mean, some people predate Kubernetes. A yeah, lot of these big yeah. companies out there have like their own systems. They've homegrown. They have competitors to Kubernetes. Yeah. They've been around. Yep. Um, so we, we fully admit that like there are environments that aren't Kube. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we generally recommend people do install it. Um, basically, we have a minimum viable manifest. That's just a deployment. Sure. Like, we say, like you can install this. You can see it and test it out. Um, and then there's like the Helm chart for something a little bit more sophisticated with like some templating. Then there's the operator, which is kind of like, here's all the config. Yeah. It's got that could be done to someone new though. Um, exactly. Yeah, you know, usually yeah. I, I export you know from the from the you know whatever the values are from the yeah. operator, and then I then I'll fill it out. Yeah. And, you know. Well, this is also one <laughs> of the benefits of using Go, and yeah. like we support basically a whole bunch of different um, architectures and operating systems yeah. and like package managers, so you can just brew install it. And it's one binary, and you can nice. just run it on your laptop. And so a lot of our development is done basically just like on our laptops. Yeah. Like there's no need for you to like do a super sophisticated um, uh, like Kubernetes deployment if you just want to like test some things and like test load some data into it. Yeah. Um, and one of the interesting things is we actually provide a lot of different APIs. Um, specifically for developer tools. So we actually have an API, like you, you can run SpiceDB itself with the main API, or you can run the SpiceDB developer, ah, developer <laughs> API. Yeah. And the developer API powers dev tools. So you can actually run like unit tests. Oh, cool. um, and it will basically, if you give it a different um, API token, it will treat that as a completely new database. So when you're writing unit tests that you're trying to integrate with SpiceDB, you just generate a new token and you get a clean database. And you can run all your unit tests in parallel against one running SpiceDB. And like, you just get a clean database for you to load whatever thing in and like, test against it and have your, have your test pass and integrate fine. And we also have dev tooling around um, like, basically loading up test relationships and like, test schemas and making assertions about it. Um, we have a whole playground where you can basically write schemas and say, like, assert that this is always true, assert that this is always false, or even ask. That's um, important in the authorization. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and you can ask SpiceDB, hey, who are all the people I have access to this and why? And then you That's can awesome. look through that list and be like, oh, like, Bob has 
access to this because he's like a writer, but like he shouldn't be a writer or like writers shouldn't have access to this. And like then you can go in and fix the thing. Um, and then you can export these and check them into CD and actually have it so you can like prevent deployments based on authorization changes. So if you're gonna introduce a bug where like Bob gets access to this thing, you can just make a rule that says Bob should never have access to this thing. And then going forward, you can completely refactor before you ever even integrate any code. Like CD's gonna stop you and yeah. say like, no, this doesn't pass, does not pass. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah so you know, it's, it's funny, I have this conversation all the time. Um, but you know, I come from I, well, I, I come from cloud native, but now I'm in DevRel, and mm -hmm. I've, you know, one of the one of the things that I do a lot is is I show people how to use products. You know, yep. I can I'm deeply technical, but I can explain things to people. That's yep. what I always consider my superpower. Yeah, it's DevRel. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a really hard problem too. As like so, a technical like yeah, co-founder and yeah. like trying to work on some of the marketing, distilling things down to like yes. the very minimal, like very descriptive. Yeah, oh, it's really hard. So, really, really so hard. my question is, you know, really what I find is that people you know tend to have a hard time mm -hmm. especially with highly technical things knowing how that should work together knowing how to uh, kind of you know what it looks like in a real world yeah do you do you guys have anything that shows like a maybe even like the boutique app or whatever it is that so that you could do to uh, that probably doesn't have authors authentication but whatever kind of thing like that that you can use to show people, hey, this is what it looks like. This yeah. is how we, this is how it's intended to be used, so that people can visualize it. Yeah. So um, we do have architecture diagrams yeah. in our documentation that kind of show like typical kind of like deployments and yeah. uh, including the insides then and the the components inside of Spice DB. Yeah. So try to help you kind of understand how it all plugs together. Um, and then our playground itself actually lets you load examples. Oh, cool. Um, so we record videos of ourselves modeling things, too. So, like, um, my co-founder Jake and I have modeled GitHub. So we'd, people are very familiar with GitHub. Yeah, yeah. If you're in, uh, implementing an enterprise app, it's pretty likely that you're going to have some kind of hierarchy structure similar to GitHub where there's, like, organizations and teams and then, like, the nouns that you're actually working with, like repositories. Um, and so we have these things as templates in our playground, so you can just kind of like click and load examples. Cool. And uh, we have things like Google Docs, where it's like point-to-point -point sharing, right? Because Google Docs is kind of different. It's a model where uh, every individual document has its own potential list of individual users that you can kind of on the fly add people, like yeah. one off. Um, and then you can maybe inherit from a hierarchy as well. So like, there's a whole bunch of different styles of sharing. Like Google Docs is not our back, right? It's very <laughs> different. Um, it's point-to-point. So I think a lot of people don't even understand that like there are different models out there. Everyone yeah. just uses the word RBAC. Yeah. They don't realize that like actually a lot of things can be modeled in these uh, in these like authorization systems, and like your app may not actually fit like the box that everyone has been talking about. Like you may have to rethink that. How do you figure out or or even start to create a model of GitHub or GitLab or or Google Docs or, or whatever it may be? How do you? I mean, how do you go about doing that? It's obviously, you know, it's closed mm -hmm. ecosystem. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> yeah. So, so the the thing with um, SpiceDB is that effectively, when you write a schema, you're kind of just talking about the nouns in the application and how things relate to each other, and that's all authorization is in in SpiceDB. Yeah. It's how do these things relate to each other? We actually built a graph inside, and it's actually a graph database under the covers. Yeah. Um, but from your concern. All you have to say is like, okay, I see there's organizations. Um, well, what are the actions I can take on an organization? Well, I can add a user. It's like, all right, so there's a permission for adding users. And like, okay, you can kind of figure out what the, the verbs are. And then 
you're like, all right, well, once you have all the verbs, well, who are the people that are allowed to perform these things? Or you're like, all right, there's admins to organizations, and there's there's billing admins, which may not be able to add users, but yeah. they have to be able to put in a credit card, because yeah. um, you don't necessarily want uh, the people in finance able to like have God mode on your applications. No. They should just pay. <laughs> yeah. And uh, these are a lot of the things that people just like kind of forget about when they're implementing their apps. Um, they're like, oh, okay, we'll just add our back, but they don't think they're like, oh, you might want a different billing email or like completely different permissions for like a billing admin. Um, but yeah, you just kind of uh, iterate through all these things as you look at the application and just kind of write them down. And we, we have our own um, language that you write these schemas in and you basically define objects as relations, which are um, basically sets of users or sets of other objects. Um, so like an organization can have like owned repositories and then you have like repositories that then have um, relations to other things like users. Um, and then all of these object types also have permissions. And then you can say like, okay, I've read on this repository. I've admin on this organization. Yep. That's, that's really, really cool. So mm -hmm. I, I asked this question to, to everybody that comes here. So we're at KubeCon. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you've been here a few days. Mm -hmm. um, there's probably stuff that you saw beforehand and we're excited about. What, do you, what, are the, what are the technologies? What are the things? What's anything about KubeCon that you're really pumped about? In general, I think a lot of the BPF stuff happening right now. Everybody says that. Everyone is saying, I mean, it's because it's true. Yeah. It's, you can just, I, I honestly feel like the eBPF stuff is to like what like C groups were, yeah, or containers, yeah, yeah. right? You're, you're there, right. There's yeah. just so much you can do. And like personally, I've used um, things like Polar Signals, um, like Parka, to just find like memory leaks install it like I didn't have to do anything and like bugs that were taking us a long time to figure out and like we we're trying to get deep introspection we, we have like open telemetry we have everything the works <laughs> in spice DB it's like very mature from an observability perspective but being able to just like install one thing that works at that kernel level yeah and give you the like full and insight and easily like yeah. that's the whole point in the yeah. time we were taking trying to like dive deep in all these tools to figure this stuff out yeah. like we just installed this one thing and then it just kind of like was like right here. And we didn't have to tell it anything. You just kind of ran it on, we threw it on like a staging server at one point. And we were just like, oh wow, that found it way faster than anything else. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it's just kind of like that level of deep observability yeah. um, that is really, really interesting with BPF for me at least. Um, well, that's yeah. been great. Well, well, thank you for coming on the show. This has been amazing. I, I, I wish you so much success with your company. And I think that, you know, you guys definitely have a niche that, that, is, that is amazing. I love that it's open source, too. And Absolutely. we can play around with it and everybody can do that. And just thanks again yeah. for coming on. Thank you for having me. All right.